0: Day eight, the fifth story of the Decameron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Decameron by Giovanni Boccaccio. Translated by J.M. Rigg. Day eight, the fifth story. Three young men pull down the breeches of a judge from the marshes, while he is administering justice on the bench. So ended Emilia her story, and when all had commended the widow-lady, "'Tis now thy turn to speak,' quoth the queen, fixing her gaze upon Philostrato, who answered that he was ready, and forthwith thus began. "'Sweet, my ladies, by what I remember of that young man, to wit, Maso de Sagio, whom Elisa named a while ago.' I am prompted to lay aside a story which I had meant to tell you, and to tell you another, touching him and some of his comrades, which, notwithstanding, there are in it certain words, albeit tis not unseemly, which your modesty forbears to use, is yet so laughable that I shall relate it. As you may well have heard, there come not seldom to our city magistrates from the marches, who, for the most part, are men of a mean spirit and in circumstances so reduced and beggarly, that their whole life seems to be but a petty foggery, and by reason of this their inbred sordidness and avarice they bring with them judges and notaries that have rather the air of men taken from the plough, or the last than trained in the schools of law. Now one of these marchers, being come hither as Podesta, brought with him judges not a few, and among them one that called himself Monsieur Nicola de San Lepido, who looked like to a locksmith than aught else. However, this fellow was assigned with the rest of the judges to hear criminal cases, and, as folks will go often to court, though they have no concern whatever there, it so befell that Maso de Saggio went thither one morning in quest of one of his friends, and there, chancing to set eyes on this Messer Nicola, where he sate, deemed him a fowl of no common feather, and surveyed him from head to foot, observing that the vair which he wore on his head was all begrimed, that he carried an inkhorn from his girdle, and that his gown was longer than his robe, and many another detail quite foreign to the appearance of a man of birth and breeding, of which that which he deemed most notable was a pair of breeches, which, as he saw, for the judge's outer garments being none too ample, were open in front while he sate, reached half-way down his legs, by which his mind was presently diverted from the friend whom he had come there to seek. And forth he hied him in quest of other two of his comrades, the one Ribby, the other Matuzio by name, fellows both of them not a whit less jolly than Maso himself. And having found them, he said to them, As you love me, come with me to the court, and I will show you the queerest scarecrow that you ever saw. So the two men hied with him to the court, and there he pointed to the dais on which the master judge was seated, and there he pointed out to them the judge and his breeches. What they saw from a distance served to set them laughing. Then, drawing nearer to the dais on which the master judge was seated, they observed that "'twas easy enough to get under the dais, and, moreover, that the plank on which the judge's feet rested was broken, so that there was plenty of room for the passage of a hand and an arm." whereupon quoth maso to his comrades twere a very easy manner to pull these breeches right down wherefore i propose that we do so each of the men had marked how it might be done and so having concerted both what they should do and what they should say they came to the court again next morning and the court being crowded observed by never a soul, slipped beneath the dais, and posted himself right under the spot where the judge's feet rested, while the other two men took their stand on either side of the judge, each laying hold of the hem of his robe. Then, "'Sir, sir, I pray you for God's sake,' began Masso, "'that, before the pilfering rascal that is there beside you can make off, you constrain him to give me back a pair of jackboots that he has stolen from me, which theft he still denies.' though t'was not a month since I saw him getting them resold. Meanwhile, Ribby, at the top of his voice, shouted, "'Believe him not, sir, the scurvy knave! "'Tis but that he knows that I am come to demand restitution "'of a valise which he has stolen from me, "'that he now for the first time trumps up this story "'about a pair of jackboots that I have had in my house "'down to the last day or two. "'And if you doubt what I say, I can bring as witness Treka, my neighbor, and Grassa, the tripe-woman.' and the one that goes about gathering the sweepings of santa maria a who saw him when he was on his way back from the farm but shout as he might mazo was still even with him nor for all that did ribby bait a jot of his clamour and while the judge stood bending now towards the one now towards the other the better to hear them Mateuzo seized his opportunity, and, thrusting his hand through the hole in the plank, caught hold of the judge's breeches, and tugged at them amain. Whereby, down they came straight away, for the judge was a lean man, and shrunk in the buttocks. The judge, being aware of the accident, but knowing not how it came about, would have gathered his outer garments together in front, so as to cover the defect. But Masso on the one side, and Ribby on the other, held him fast, shouting amain, and in chorus— You do me a grievous wrong, sir, thus to deny me justice, nay, even a hearing, and, to think of quitting the court, there needs no writ in this city for such a trifling a matter as this. And thus they held him, by the clothes, and in parley, until all that were in the court perceived that he had lost his breeches. However, after a while, Mateuzo dropped the breeches, and slipped off and out of the court, without being observed, and Ribby, deeming that the joke had gone far enough, exclaimed, by God, I vow, I will appear to the syndics, while Maso, on the other hand, let go of the robe, saying, Nay, but for my part, I will come here again, and again, and again, unless I find you less embarrassed than you seem to be today. And so the one this way, the other that way, they made off with all speed, whereupon Master Judge, disbreached before all the world, was as one that awakens from sleep, albeit, he is aware of his forlorn condition, and asks whether the parties in the case, touching the jackboots and the valise, were gone. However, as they could not be found, he fell a swearing by the bowels of God that t'was meet and proper that he should know, in wit, whether t'was the custom at Florence to dispreach judges sitting in the seat of justice. When the affair reached the ears of the Podesta, he made no little stir about it, but, being informed by some of his friends that, it would not have happened but that the Florentines were minded to show him that, in the place of the judges, he should have brought with him, he had brought but gawks, to save expense. He deemed it the best way to say no more about it, and so, for that, the matter went no further. End of Day 8 The Fifth Story